Greetings, everyone. I'm Dr. Tiffany Wingfield, Director of Member Relations and the ASHP Staff Liaison for the Pharmacy Technician Forum here at ASHP. Thanks for joining. I'm excited to share with you that today's episode is a curated feature focusing on topics important to pharmacy technicians from the exceptional programming from the 2021 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy the voices of your colleagues as they share the latest clinical information, leadership advice, and the best practices in the practice of pharmacy. There is a lot of documentation about some of the various advanced pharmacy technician roles that have been utilized, and ASHP has a list outlining some of these examples. But pharmacy technicians have been working in advanced roles in a variety of settings, ranging from the office setting, working in areas like informatics, to the inpatient setting, completing medication histories in the emergency department and on inpatient floors, to the clinic setting, helping to allow patients to obtain medications through patient assistance programs, and to the outpatient setting, helping to participate in tech check tech programs and administering immunizations. To highlight a few examples specifically to the ambulatory care setting, we have three to share with you from published literature. First, we have an example of a pharmacist-led osteoporosis clinic, where a technician was able to support the patient screening and documentation-related activities. In this situation, the pharmacy technician was able to perform a chart review to determine if further pharmacist intervention was needed. This allowed the pharmacist to spend more time focusing on the clinical activities related to the osteoporosis service. A second example is an outpatient breast cancer clinic, where a pharmacy technician completed a meeting with a patient prior to their meeting with the oncologist to complete a full medication history and to screen for potential drug interactions. And this study found numerous benefits to the inclusion of the pharmacy technician in this clinic, including an improved understanding of the chemotherapy support medications and a decrease in chemotherapy delay. And finally, an example of the pharmacy technician role in an infectious disease clinic. They describe a pharmacy technician involvement in an HIV clinic where the pharmacy technician took on the primary role of performing a benefits investigation, assisting with completing prior authorization, and helping with copay assistance, which helped improve continuity of care and ensure that the patients could afford their medications. There are a number of benefits and barriers documented to the use of pharmacy technicians in advanced roles. A number of benefits demonstrated have included improved patient outcomes and cost savings. Additionally, there is a lot of opportunity for increased efficiency when a pharmacy technician is involved in advanced roles. And of course, there is a lot of opportunity for expanding the pharmacist's role by freeing up the time for more clinical activities. Unfortunately, there are also a number of barriers to implementing these roles in practice. And one of the primary barriers that we've experienced is financial justification. It can be difficult when there isn't a clear revenue stream to determine the best way to pay for these positions. And we'll talk a little bit further about how we've tried to overcome this barrier in our experience. 
As mentioned before, there is also no scope of practice regulation and no universal education standard, which makes it difficult to truly define what activities are allowed for advanced pharmacy technicians and what minimal competencies or education are needed in order to perform those roles. Another potential barrier is perception, as there could be concerns from some pharmacists that advancement of technician roles could eliminate the need for pharmacy positions. And there can be difficulties with perceptions from other healthcare providers and patients who may not realize the full scope of what a pharmacy technician can do. So as I mentioned before, my practice site is St. Elizabeth Physicians, which is an organization of about 700 providers that we practice in the Northern Kentucky, Ohio, and Indiana area. We serve about 370,000 patients each year. We, of course, have an ambulatory pharmacy team that I'll be talking with you about today. We do all report up under the value-based performance department, which I'll talk about how that influences our pharmacy technician roles. Currently, we have 12 pharmacy technicians. We actually have two separate types of pharmacy technician roles. So we have a refill technician role, which we have nine of those currently. And we have a more clinical role, which we currently have three technicians filling that role. We also have eight full-time pharmacists one ambulatory pharmacy manager. And since these slides were finalized, we actually also have elevated one of the pharmacy technicians to be a lead pharmacy technician as well. We also have two PGY2 ambulatory care residents, as well as two College of Pharmacy faculty, of which I am one, as well as the other pharmacy faculty is a health outcomes researcher. So just to give you an idea of what our timeline has looked like at St. Elizabeth Physicians. So in December of 2017 was the first pharmacist that was hired internally through St. Elizabeth. And this pharmacist really worked in a centralized role. So they worked from our corporate office, mainly addressing population health concerns or initiatives. And so they did this over the phone or through the electronic medical record, but were based centrally. Over the course of 2018, the pharmacist that was hired then and then additional pharmacists that we hired transitioned to in-office work, so seeing patients in our offices, and we started out in primary care offices specifically. At this time, we also established our ambulatory care residency program. In February of 2019, our technician refill protocols were finalized and approved through our various approval processes within the organization. And then in April 2019, we hired the first refill pharmacy technician at that time. Almost a year later, in February of 2020, was when we hired our first clinical pharmacy technician. And then again, at the time that these slides were finalized in September of 2021, we have nine refill technicians and three clinical pharmacy technicians. So to give you an idea of how our pharmacy team works and how our pharmacists work and how our pharmacy technicians fit into that. So our pharmacists are, of course, doing medication management with patients in our organization. We also, like I mentioned, for the entire pharmacy team, we do a report up under our value-based performance department. And so we are focused a lot on our value-based performance initiatives. And so looking at patients that have care gaps that were not meeting the quality measures and trying to improve our performance on those quality measures in order to improve our reimbursement as an organization. We are also the primary resource for drug information questions while we're in the offices. And then of course, resident and student education education. The pharmacists are in the office in mostly primary care, although we are expanding to specialty care, in those offices four days a week and then have one day for administrative duties. 
Our pharmacy technicians, as I've already said, we have two different roles for pharmacy technicians. So the first is a refill technician, and these technicians work to address medication refills through the electronic health record. And once they address them, they can either approve or deny those refills based on particular protocols. They also identify the need for follow-up labs or further appointments and can refer to the appropriate parties at that point. Our clinical pharmacy technicians manage our pharmacist's schedules and so they will schedule patient appointments for our pharmacists. They also, on the back end, do some billing from an outcomes MTM perspective. Within our organization currently, we do not do any billing outside of outcomes MTM, but that is their primary focus is billing through that platform. Unlike the pharmacists, the pharmacy technicians actually work completely remotely, and so they are able to work from home usually, although they do have the option to come into our central office if that is better for them. As far as our technician training programs, so once we hire a technician, they are required to have certification, whether that is PTCB or NHA, but both of those certifications count, but it is required for them to have that when they are hired. Once they're hired on, they have the first 30 to 90 days, they stay in the centralized office and do some really hands-on training. They start out with observing one to two technicians that currently work in the role that they have been hired for. And then during that time, they start working independently with that technician and with the pharmacy manager there available for them for questions. Once they have met certain efficiency criteria as well as equipment criteria to have at home, they are able to transition to working from home at that point. Once they have finished training, we also do some routine monitoring of their productivity and their working. And so this consists of quarterly coaching. So this is either by the pharmacy manager or by that lead technician. They also do weekly reporting of productivity, so whether that is refill productivity or scheduling of patient appointments and billing productivity, all of that is reported to the whole team. And then there's also some random auditing by the manager of ambulatory pharmacy. And so what this is, it's more specific to the refill technicians, but basically they're going in and just verifying that everything looks good and that we're upholding the quality standards that we have put forth for our refill technicians. So you may be wondering how this process actually works, at least for the refill pharmacy technicians. So initially, the refill technician is going to receive a refill request. And so this request either comes from a patient or from a pharmacy, but all of them are within the EHR. So the pharmacy technicians are not like answering phone calls from patients and receiving refill requests that way. It's only through the electronic medical record. Once that request is received, the technician will look for any exclusion criteria that the patient may meet. So they would be excluded if the patient has not been seen within our organization within the last 13 months, if the patient is less than 18 years of age, if they are pregnant, or if they are in hospice, they would also be excluded. They may also be excluded if they're taking that particular medication that they've requested a refill for, if they are taking it differently than it is prescribed. In that case, they would forward that information to the office and the office would take it from there. And then finally, if they didn't have a primary care physician listed, then we wouldn't be able to refill that for them. They would need to establish care somewhere. Once they get through that exclusion criteria, they'll verify a few more pieces of information about the prescription specifically 
specifically. So first of all, they're going to verify that a refill is actually needed or whether the patient should have that medication on hand already. So they verify this not only through the patient's chart and the electronic medical record, but also by calling the pharmacy to make sure that they actually do have those refills on hand and that there aren't any problems with it on the pharmacy end. They'll also verify that it's the correct provider. And so currently we only have nine refill technicians, but we have over 700 providers. And so we are not necessarily touching every single refill for every single provider. And so we have to make sure that the provider that has prescribed that medication is within our organization and also that they're covered by our current protocols. We also have to make sure that the provider who sent the prescription matches the one that we have on file as well. And then finally, they're going to determine determine if a protocol is available for this medication. So we currently have 14 medication classes for which we have protocols available. So the medication has to fall into one of those 14 classes in order to be refilled. So this process actually occurs automatically within our electronic health record. And then the technician will verify the information that I just mentioned, but they will also take a look at the last time that the patient visited the primary care office and determine when that that provider wanted to follow up with the patient, and that will help them determine how many refills they can provide or whether they need to come in for a new appointment. So I mentioned that we have 14 medication classes that have approved protocols. So this is just a small sample of those. So what I wanted to point out here was just to show you kind of what that criteria looks like. So on the left-hand side, we have the drug class, the medications in that class, or if it's a drug category, we may have additional classes there. We also list how often they have to have an office visit or laboratory tests. And then finally, what laboratory tests or vital signs are required in order for the prescription to be refilled. So as you can see in the first line here, we have our angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitors. We have listed some examples of those. They have to either have an office visit or have their laboratory tests done every six months. And what you'll see on the right as far as what is required is serum creatinine, as well as potassium and blood pressure. And so essentially what we're looking at is we wanna make sure that the medication is still safe for the patient and that the medication is still working for the patient, or at least that we're monitoring it to make sure that it is. A couple of things I wanna also point out here is that there may be some medications that do not have any lab tests required. So for example, the last line there as erectile dysfunction. So for this class, they actually only have to see their provider every 12 months and there's no required laboratory tests. However, we are able to make specific notes about a particular class to say, for example, that with the erectile dysfunction medications, the protocol would fail if a nitrate was active on the medication list. And so I just point that out to say that they can be very specific and we can actually make some of those individual changes in the electronic medical record and with the technicians as well. So the 14 classes that we have, the 14 medication classes that have protocols for them, those were selected because those medications made up at least 50% of the medication refill requests that we were receiving. So I've included this here for our first six months is when this data was taken. And so I just want to point out that the most commonly refilled medication classes are listed here. So the first one is going to be the HMG-CoA reductase inhibitors and so our statin medications. 
Next is our SSRIs and PPIs. But my hope for this is that you will be able to take this information and be able to think about where might you start? Where are you going to have the most bang for your buck in starting this type of refill program? And so it was for us with these 14 medication classes. So you can see how that distribution was aligned there. So kind of switching gears to our clinical pharmacy technicians and their workflow. So the first step in the clinical pharmacy technician workflow is that they start by identifying a patient. And so, like I mentioned before, they do practice a lot in outcomes MTM. And so they can identify patients through outcomes MTM. They also might identify patients through payer care gap reports, which we get on a regular basis. So it may be that a patient needs a comprehensive medication review, or it may be something related to a very particular measure such as statin use in diabetes or statin use in cardiovascular disease. They also might identify patients through our work queue, which is where we receive referrals from providers in our offices. And so they're able to go in and see those referrals as well and go ahead and get patients set up with an appointment. The next step is that they're going to schedule that appointment with a pharmacist. So either by phone or in person, they have those options based on what the patient needs. After that, they're going to notify the pharmacist. So they will send a message through the electronic medical record. And that message will include not only the date and time and the patient name for this appointment, but also it includes any pertinent information that they might need. So for example, if the patient has additional tips within outcomes, or if they have additional care gaps that need to be met, or even if they have specific questions that came up during the scheduling process. The pharmacist will then conduct the visit and then copy the note back to the pharmacy technician. At that point, the pharmacy technician will then either bill, so bill through Outcomes MTM, they enter all of that information into that platform. They also may forward this documentation to another member of our team called the value-based consultants. And the value-based consultants directly communicate with our payers very regularly. And so they're able to provide additional documentation to close any of those value-based care gaps that we have. They also, in this process, utilize some standardized wording. So there are some things that are pretty commonly utilized or pretty commonly come up in our MTM sessions. And so they will use standardized wording for things like immunizations or for smoking cessation, and that has been standardized throughout all of our pharmacy technicians. After that, they will forward the outcomes MTM documentation to the pharmacist, and the pharmacist will then evaluate the documentation and really just approve, give final approval to what they have put into outcomes. And then the pharmacy technician will then finalize everything. And so they will send the patient takeaway from outcomes. They will also finalize any billing that they have to do. And then they will also upload that patient takeaway to the patient's chart within our electronic medical record. That way we have a place that it's documented within the patient's chart. So like we mentioned before, one of the biggest barriers to implementing pharmacy technicians in the ambulatory care setting is really budget justification. And so this is just kind of an overview of how we have justified the utilization of pharmacy technicians, and for that matter, pharmacists as well within our organization. So overall, it's really based on value-based funding. And so we have our value-based contracts, which I've already mentioned, that obviously the technicians in both roles, by the clinical role and scheduling, patients to see our pharmacists, and then also in the refill role to make sure that we're improving adherence in those roles as well. 
patient and associate satisfaction is also a huge driver for this. So patients are greatly satisfied by having their refills addressed in a more timely manner. So we know that being in a primary care office can be hectic. There are things that come up and it may take a while for a medical assistant or a provider to get to all of their refill requests. And so it's a huge patient satisfier as well as an associate satisfier because our associates, our medical assistants, nurses, physicians in the office, they're able to more readily focus on the patient care that they're doing for that day. Medication safety monitoring is also huge. So like I mentioned with the types of lab values that are required for each medication protocol, we are making sure that those medications are monitored for safety. And if they're not, then we are bringing that up and addressing it with the physician or with the patient to make sure that those lab values are getting taken. Medication adherence, I already kind of mentioned this, but adhering to medications obviously is impacted by how quickly you get your refills as well as the length uh, or the day supply of those refills. And so our technicians try as much as possible to give 90-day supplies as well as refills until that patient's next appointment. Disease state control, this goes into both of the types of technicians, but especially the clinical technicians. So being able to schedule those patients, taking that off of the pharmacist and moving it more towards the technicians allows the pharmacist to be able to see more patients during the day and improve disease state control for those patients. And then finally, downstream revenue through office visits. And so by having these really standardized protocols for patients and getting their refills, what we're able to do is notice when patients haven't followed up with their provider that maybe those patients would have slipped through the cracks before and get those patients scheduled. So we have an entire other team that does some scheduling for patients. So if the pharmacy technician notices that they need an appointment, they will forward it to that team and that team will reach out to the patient to schedule their annual wellness visit or their follow-up visit, whatever they need. So as with any new service, there are definitely some barriers to implementation. So the first barrier was really developing the workflow. And so again, with anything new, there's going to be barriers or challenges in developing the way that the technicians are working. And so a lot of those things involved communication with the patients, communication with the office staff, because again, they're working remotely. So making sure that our documentation, which is something that pharmacy technicians traditionally are not really that used to doing. So making sure their documentation is clear and it makes sense to the people in the office, makes sense to the patients. We also encountered some provider and associate buy-in barriers. And so like Dr. Bald mentioned, we don't really have a clear role all the time for pharmacy technicians. And so a lot of the providers and associates were not aware of what mainly pharmacists do, but also especially pharmacy technicians. And so they're not aware of their scope of practice. They're not aware of what they can add to the team. So really getting that buy-in takes a little bit of time. We also encountered barriers, especially with physical space. So like I mentioned, they all are working remotely. And part of that is because there just isn't space within our offices for the pharmacy technicians to work there. And so that was a huge barrier. And then once you think about working remotely, how do you make sure that they're still part of the team and that they're still being involved in the patient's care as much as possible? And then finally, recruitment of staff. So in addition to, I think, 
labor shortages across the board happening now in the United States, especially with pharmacy technicians, but also especially in ambulatory care. So pharmacy technicians are not thinking about a physician organization as a place where they are going to find pharmacy technician jobs. And so a lot of it had to come from word of mouth and being able to recruit people that they had previously worked with, as opposed to just posting it on our website and people automatically coming to it. So now I will pass it off to Dr. Raber to talk about our second practice setting. Great, thank you. So next, I'm really excited to share another example of advanced pharmacy technician roles in the primary care setting, and that's at the University of Utah. So I'm gonna discuss the Pharmacy Primary Care Services Group or otherwise known as PPCS. I will note, we also have ambulatory care specialty clinics, and we also have centralized teams that provide thrombosis services, as well as teams that support our refill requests and our prior authorizations. And there are advanced technician roles within all of those teams. But today we're really gonna hone in on this example within the primary care setting. And you'll see here, we have clinics spread out across the entire valley in Salt Lake. And our primary care pharmacy group is providing services to 11 of those community clinics. And our group consists of 26 clinical pharmacists, nine clinical pharmacy technicians, and one clinical pharmacy intern. I will also note that of our clinical pharmacist group, we do have a mixture of full-time clinical pharmacists as well as partial faculty roles. So a little bit of background about Utah. So the state of Utah does require a license to work as a pharmacy technician. And this process is housed within the Utah Division of Occupational and Professional Licensing. The process really starts with applying for a pharmacy tech trainee application and then completing an approved pharmacy tech training program, which must also include 180 hours of directly supervised practical training. Finally, technicians must pass either the national exam administered by PTCB or by NHA. So there is a little bit more steps involved in getting a technician license and being able to work in the state of Utah. We started adding technicians to our team, our primary care services team, back in 2015. And at that time, we initially had three tech positions approved, and we really kind of bundled those positions with our pharmacist position. So as we applied for a new pharmacist position within a primary care clinic, we also applied for a technician position. And so you'll see here our technician and pharmacist team really quickly expanded between the years of 2015 and 2018 to reach the nine total technician positions that we have today. And once these new technicians were hired, they were really quickly integrated right into the clinic setting. And we are really lucky enough at the University of Utah to have very diverse clinical teams. So our clinical pharmacists, our clinical pharmacy technicians, and our learners, including residents and students, are interacting on a daily basis with team members such as care managers, behavioral health, dietitians, health coaches, clinical nurses, MAs, and then of course our providers. And then all of those specialties will also have their learners too. So I think one thing that's really unique about this practice setting is that our technicians are really right in the middle of this amazing interprofessional team. So they're providing care along with the rest of the team members. 
And what do the roles look like? So really to understand our technician roles, it's important to understand what our pharmacist roles are. And so you can see here, our pharmacists within our primary care clinics are primarily working on medication management via collaborative practice agreement. So many of our pharmacists will run their own schedules, have their own appointments with patients. Many of us are doing co-visits with providers. So a patient will come in, they'll meet with their provider, and then they'll also meet with their clinical pharmacist for medication management and chronic disease state management. We also will do warm handoffs within the clinic setting. So if a patient is going to be referred to the pharmacy team, having a team member go in and meet that patient and explain our services and schedule the appointment. And then we also do phone follow-up in between both physician and pharmacist visits to check in and manage access. We are also one of the main drug information resources for our clinics. So our pharmacists spend quite a bit of time answering both patient and provider and team member questions that come up. And then of course the pharmacists are involved in resident and student education. And most of our pharmacists on our team, even during the pandemic, have maintained an in-office presence at least four days per week. And then many of us are having administrative time with remote coverage that last day. So then the pharmacy technician roles really, I think, help support the pharmacist to practice at the top of their licenses. So what are our pharmacy technicians doing in the clinic? They're doing a wide variety of tasks that we'll talk a little bit more about, but a lot of it has to do with schedule management and then patient access issues and population health. So they are also in the clinic four days per week and with many of them having a day of administrative or remote work. So as I mentioned, here are some of the tasks that our clinical pharmacy technician does on a daily basis. And we kind of ran a little bit of a pilot project that a few of our pharmacy students helped us with where we tracked the activities of two of our pharmacy technicians for two weeks. And we just asked them to keep track of time and activities. And we really wanted to paint this picture of what does the day look like for our technicians. And this is what we came up with. And you can see vast majority of the day is spent with either schedule management, so calling and scheduling appointments for patients that were referred to us or identified by us, and also then medication coverage investigations or test claims. So this would be activities of trying to determine which medication is best covered and looking into other access issues for patients. You can see other activities that were top on the list. We had chart review, we had administrative and meeting times, we had other population health and quality reports, looking at fill histories, managing prior authorization communications with our central team, and then pending any lab orders that might be needed or sending letters, no-show letters to patients. And interestingly, in a separate mini project, we asked our pharmacy teams, so both technicians and pharmacists, the perceived importance of the different tasks that our technicians do. And interestingly enough, you know, the most important tasks really correlated with the most amount of time spent. So I think that is a positive outcome that really the most important tasks were referral work, test claims, scheduling, phone follow-up. So very similar to that last graph that we just looked at. And as far as the training process for our pharmacy technicians, we do have a pretty extensive and formalized process 
It starts off with the new hire training book, which includes a lot of checklists, policies, different resources that our technicians can utilize. And then our technicians have an onboarding schedule that depending on the background and familiarity of the trainee, will either be three to four weeks. And that'll include shadowing other technicians at other clinics or shadowing other care team members at their own clinic to learn more about the flow. And of course, electronic medical record training is a part of that onboarding process as well. And then I also wanted to quickly mention, we do have within our health system advancement opportunities for our pharmacy technician. So depending on their job duties and then how much experience they have, they can apply to advance from a tech one role all the way up to a tech three role. And many of the positions that I'm discussing here today are classified as tech three roles, just based on the job functions being at you know, pretty advanced levels. We also have opportunities for technicians to apply for a lead technician position within their group. And that would, of course, mean higher levels of responsibility and increased compensation. And then I just wanted to share an example of really what this looks like within my day-to-day. -day. How do I interact with my clinical pharmacy technician? And so here's a great example. So our technician will run a report and then they will identify a patient with an A1C greater than, let's say, 8 as our cut point. And they will then identify that that patient's coming in today, they'll complete a warm handoff during the appointment with the PCP. So they'll go into the visit, they will discuss what pharmacy services can do, they'll coordinate with the primary care provider to make sure that a referral is appropriate, and then they'll get that patient scheduled to meet with us. Then before even the visit happens, our technician can run a benefits investigation in order to determine what are some appropriate next step therapies, what are the costs going to look like, what's gonna be reasonable, what coupon options are there, et cetera. So they can prepare all of that data ahead of time. So that way when I meet with the patient, I have really good decision-making tools ready to go. After the visit, let's just say that that patient has a really complex medication regimen and they also have some medication assistance needs. Our tech will go ahead and coordinate all of that. They'll coordinate the medication assistance with our centralized med assistance team. They'll talk to the patient about coupon options, make sure that they get signed up for a coupon and that information gets transferred to their pharmacy. And then they can also help that patient get set up and coordinate the pill packaging you know, services that some pharmacies offer. And then our technician will again perform a follow-up phone call in two weeks to just check in, make sure, follow up on some of the interventions that we made during our visit, collect any blood sugar readings, communicate that back to the pharmacist who will then determine if there are any additional adjustments that need to be made. So you can see here in just one patient example encounter how vital the technician is and how many steps the technician can perform to really help the pharmacist to practice at the top of the license. Of course, we also have some barriers for expanding our technician presence within primary care. These barriers probably look fairly similar to the ones that Elizabeth just discussed. Of course, financial justification is a huge barrier. 
And that's something you'll notice we really haven't expanded additional positions for several years now. And financial justification is really the reason we're really working on honing in on tracking activities and linking those to outcomes so we have a way to better paint this financial picture. Recruitment and retention, as previously mentioned, is another barrier that we face at our institution. So really recruiting you know, top level technicians and being able to retain them for long amounts of time. Physical space is another barrier. Of course, this has been made even more apparent during the pandemic when physical space is at even more of a premium. So that is something that we have struggled with. We're still really trying to maintain physical presence within all of our clinics just because we do feel like that really helps with that team integration. And then disproportionate growth. So our pharmacist team has certainly grown faster than our pharmacy technician team, which has left many of our technicians covering multiple clinics and multiple pharmacists. And that of course can put some time constraints on what they're able to do. So I think that's another barrier that we're looking at is how can we keep growing our technician team at the same rate that our pharmacist team is expanding. Thank you so much for listening in today. Be sure to follow us at ASHP Official wherever you listen to podcasts and check back soon to hear more featurettes from the 2021 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Until then, this is Tiffany Wingfield from ASHP Official and thank you for all that you do for your patients.